I'm Claire. And I'm Liz. And this is The Balancing Act, a podcast where we talk about law, life, and everything in between. All right, so this is episode 33 of The Balancing Act. And in this episode, Liz and I are going to be discussing different biases that we have observed in the justice system. So whether that's dealing with like judges and clerks in the court or with different professionals that are involved with different cases, these are different racial or cultural or ageist uh-huh. things that that we have observed and the idea behind this is not that we are trying to guilt or shame anyone, but simply kind of draw back the veil or kind of show that these biases are real and they exist and certainly need to need to be addressed. We all can do better. We can all do better in the legal system, just like everywhere, you know, yes. there's things that we can do. To make yes. it more just and more fair for everyone. And I, th- I think it goes without saying that Claire and I are both from Minnesota. And, you know, this episode is definitely inspired by the, the murder of George Floyd. And, you know, it's, it's, it was beyond tragic. And I know that Claire and I both feel very strongly that Black Lives Matter and we are trying to do our best to, you know, live that out in our daily lives and in our practices. Yeah, absolutely. I think we should also mention that Liz and I are both white ladies who yes. we certainly come with our own blinders. And so I am certain that there are things that I have missed different yes. you know, microaggressions or mm-hmm. different comments or looks or, or actions that kind of went over my head that I'm sure that, that some of my clients, you know, have experienced or have noticed. Mm-hmm. None that necessarily were shared with me because then I would have mm-hmm. been aware of that. But I think just as like an onset that Liz and I, as much as we aim to be anti-racist and um, have anti-racist practice and be understanding and aware. There's certainly things that, that we're going to miss because of our own, our own upbringing and background. Yes, that is a hundred percent accurate. And I'm, I'm doing my best and I am always ready to learn and to change things because the only way that we can move forward is by, you know, being willing to progress and change the way that things are, you know, to make things more fair and just. So, so. on, on like, as like a starting point, one of the things mm-hmm. that we as attorneys need to do is every three years we have to update our continuing education. And we've talked about that in previous episodes, 
But one of the continuing education requirements that we have to have are, um, in addition to just like the general number of credits, we have to have a certain number of ethics credits and a certain number of what are called elimination of bias credits. And both are fairly broad categories, but both also kind of talk about what we've seen. So an elimination of bias You could never take an elimination of racial bias, for example, class. You could only take like mental health Mm -hmm. or financial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, chemical dependency. Yeah, chemical dependency. Right. Absolutely. So there's no kind of requirement about what type of elimination of bias or that you Mm -hmm. that you change up your elimination of bias each each round of credit reporting. And so the profession certainly tries to address this, but I think that there are ways that we certainly fall short and that are areas of improvement that we really need to address. Yes, there are ways to improve. I know I have been to more than one elimination of bias class where I have written on the evaluation the people who presented this certainly did not have their own elimination of bias. They need to take the class themselves. They were using <laughs> inappropriate language or were making fun of this like uh, section of population um, that we were talking about. And so <clears throat> I think that, and, and I have been to elimination of bias classes that have taught me a lot too. So I'm not trying to say Yep. That all elimination ones. of bias presenters are, you know, don't take it seriously or anything like that. I think that some are are excellent, and I walk away going, "Wow, I've I've really learned a lot." I'm so glad that that I had that class. So, yeah, that's just some background. So, Liz, what what is one example of a bias area that you have? encountered in the legal profession? Well, I think, and this one is being discussed a bit more, at least on some of the family law listservs that I am part of or Facebook groups is, you know, let's pretend that we're trying to find an evaluator or a mediator, a neutral for a case. At least in Minnesota, the neutrals, you know, in general are pretty much almost all white. They are generally not trying to call anyone out, but 60 years older. (laughs) And yes, they're very seasoned, which is good. You do want someone who's seasoned typically. And I would say typically middle to really upper middle, upper class as far as socioeconomic. Yeah, there's not a lot of socioeconomic diversity either. So it can be difficult when your clients don't fall into those categories for the clients to even see themselves in these, you know, in these evaluators. And sometimes the evaluators have, or mediators have not always exercised the degree of sensitivity that I would like them to. Um, And I'm not, I don't want to overly, you know, say anything that might, we'll say, I'm not trying to break any client confidences right now, but there have been a couple situations where I have felt like the neutral has almost been taking my client less seriously based on, 
either like their profession when it's, you know, a, a not as revered profession. And I've also noticed like if, if someone may not talk with the same accent, I've seen, you know, the same good old Minnesota accent that I completely have. Um, I've, I've seen, you know, when people use a different way of speaking, I don't know what the word is. Is vernacular a word? (laughs) Um, Like when the mediator is having to ask someone to explain what they mean by language that actually even, even I know when I'm pretty out of touch, um, (laughs) I feel like that isn't necessarily catering to the, the parties. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Claire? I, I agree. This was also something that I had on my list. And I don't know if this is also the case when neutrals are used in, in other areas of law. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, you know, when you go to like an employment law arbitration or a personal injury mediation. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if this is unique to family law or if this is kind of across the board. But I have definitely sat in in mediations or evaluations, EDR instances, where the neutrals just are not understanding the client's point of view at all. And rather than saying, you know what, I don't understand this because we are of a different generation or we're of a different socioeconomic class or we're of a different race or we're of a different culture. Right. And so instead of Mm -hmm. like trying to understand the client's point of view in every instance, they've put their own lenses and their own experiences on to the client. So, you know, in, in one example, you know, vacations coming up and like, the neutrals thinking that people are going to be taking like international three week vacations. And it's like, no, 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 this is not, this is not possible for the client to have, to have that kind of level of vacation. They're more thinking about going to Duluth for the weekend as a vacation, yeah. which is an awesome vacation. Yeah. But no, I'm like, ah, that sounds great. Right now. <laughs> That level of disconnect, yes, or or not understanding. This is less often, but certainly not understanding like different work schedules. Mm-hmm. To mm-hmm. um, not being able to see people who don't work a nine to five office job, uh-huh. and how that might impact parenting time issues. Unless maybe they're a nurse, then maybe they can understand. Yeah, if they're a nurse. But any other profession. That's a good example. Yeah, because they usually do. Um, the nurse scheduling does come up quite often. But anyone else who works like retail or works in restaurants or works in, in so okay. many professions that aren't nine to five, how to handle that. And I think that's absolutely something that we can do better with. And I appreciate and understand wanting to have someone who knows mm-hmm. the law really well. A hundred percent. Who, you know, is not a recent, you know, someone who, who has had no experience with the law or with social services or something like that. But I don't know that we need to stick with kind of, at least what I see is the standard of, well, if you haven't had 35 years experience, you don't mm-hmm. count. <laughs> 
And I don't know that we need to keep that because I think there's certainly people who can bring a wealth of knowledge to the practice Mm -hmm. and experience without, without having that kind of hidden experience requirement. Yep. Because that's not, that experience is helpful for some people. Don't get me wrong because it, you know, someone with a lot of experience will know the court system. They'll know the judges and they can tell our clients like, Hey, if this comes in front of judge, blah, blah, blah. I, you know, I think it's going to go this way or you don't even want to bring this in front of your judge. And I think that is extremely helpful, but there are some times where that's not the level that's needed. And it's more of, you know, I think a lot, at least in family law, it's a lot of being able to understand our clients as individuals and helping them to be able to reach an agreement or a resolution that is going to work best for their family, even if it's no longer family living in the same house. And sometimes that is not as law specific, you know, sometimes it's more literally what will work best. I agree. And I think that I'm not saying that we need to get rid of everyone who's had 35 years (laughs) of experience, but perhaps within the profession say, you know what, this person with five years experience, but they have all this other experience outside of being a, Mm -hmm. you know, therapist or outside of being an attorney. They'd be great um, for this case. um, Really valuable. So I think they'd be paying more attention to clients, right? In that way and saying, is this person really a good fit just because they're the golden standard typically in these cases? Or could they be better served with someone else? Yeah. And I think... I think in other professionals like social workers and guardians at litem, mm-hmm. there is more diversity than there yes. are in neutrals. But I think that we see a lot of a lot of bias with uh, within social workers and guardians too. Like mm-hmm. so, even though they are more more diverse as a group, like those bias still exist. Of like, well how come you haven't lived up to these standards in this case plan that I've set up? Or how come, you know, you're, you're not calling me back when I think you should call me back or timeliness or whatever the case may be. I think that those professionals bring, bring their own set of biases too. Yeah. Which I mean, I understand, you know, in theory, things have to get done. There's, rules and timelines well especially in law like stuff has to be in by a certain time so i mean i understand some of it but again we can all do better you know we absolutely can all do better you know right i'm just i'm thinking for example like sometimes in case plans like uh-huh. there will be some sort of like housing requirement that yep. needs to happen uh, yeah. and they'll just have like this is the standard housing requirement without saying is that even available yeah. <laughs> as an yep. option? Yep. Like, does the standard exist in their location or in their price range or in their, you know, realm of yeah. getting it within, you know, these that's, next three yeah. months? Because there's an eight-month And that's a safe left. place for the family to live. Yeah. Yep. Safe and affordable. Yep. Yeah. And so I think, I think that, you know, those are some areas. It's just one example that 
that can be looked at and be like, you know what, maybe we need to take a more critical eye to this rather than just give the standard the standard look at without recognizing that in this you know community because because of cost or because of availability or because it's rural or mm-hmm. whatever the case may be that these standards aren't you know, attainable and then it's hard when you then punish yes. the client for not meeting these unattainable standards yes. Thanks for listening today. You can find website at